All right, morning, morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We doing good? Awesome. Y'all give it up for Aaron and the worship team. I mean, they are amazing. Really good. All right. So um, just so blessed to have them here and have all that worship. I feel we could just go home right now, right? 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 Because other than that, I just want to apologize. I'm joking. No, no. Um, I have a message that I've been working on uh, for quite some time, and it's a little personal to me, too. And so I'm going to go into a personal testimony towards the end. But what I want to do is I just want to kind of break it down, because as we're in this question series, we've been answering questions that have been submitted via our congregation, whether it be email, whether they wrote it down and put it in a box or anything like that. We've been actually answering them as a staff or as a as a team, and they asked me to take on this next one, which I think um, we can all kind of relate to, and which is pretty, it's, it's pretty hard, but once again, it's pretty personal, personal for me, and it's where is the line, or where does one draw the line between enablement and grace? Where does one draw the line between enablement and grace? It's a tough one for me, and when we look at it, sometimes we look at it, and we see, you know, enablement in, in such a negative aspect and sometimes we see grace as such a as such something that we own and so what I want to do today is just kind of dissect that all look at a passage biblically and, and just turn that around so that way we can kind of see what grace is as it is in the bible but first I figure that we can kind of look at some definitions I went through Merriam-Webster's dictionary and looking at enabling and one of the first definitions that came up was to provide with means or opportunity. And now I have some slides here that are going to show you a little bit of it. Here's the first one of what I think when I, when I see that here. So has anyone ever seen The Voice? Right? If you haven't seen The Voice, what that is, is that is a show where if someone loves your talent, you sing, if someone loves your talent, they pick you and you get to be on a team of one of these celebrities or one of these artists here. And so when I think of providing the means or opportunity, I initially think, oh, that's like The Voice. Like, I'm provided with an opportunity to go out and show myself and, and, and chase my dreams of being an artist or something like that. So that's one of them. Now, the next one, the next definition says to make possible or practical. And I always think of those Pinterest spells just like this one right here that you'll see or right here, um, which we know we see the baby in the pumpkin and we see that on Pinterest, right? I mean, I don't probably like some of some of uh, some other people will. Maybe my wife, she probably saw that and said that would be a cute idea. And then it turns out to be this right here. So because the pumpkins always fall in and everything else or, you know, you always see cookies that don't turn out the same way. There's a whole list of those Pinterest fails. Y'all should check them out on the on- online as well. And so the last one uh, I look at is uh, is a funny one because I think it's a uh, I think it's very, very very relevant to students as well. And that one is to cause and to operate. I need to enable myself with this in order for me to operate. And then I would look at this as being one of them right there. Fidget spinners, you know, in order for me to pay attention, I need to be spinning this little thing because sometimes I pay attention more to that than I do to anything else. Um, so that's what I think about students. Don't worry. Don't worry. Some of the old school peeps used to have the same thing, which is the Viewmaster. Okay, because some of us know what the Viewmaster is. We used to look at that all the time, and then we had to have every single new Viewmaster that came out. And so that was kind of like the obsession at the same time, too. In my house, it was like, you're not going on vacation. Here's a Viewmaster. You can see what Disneyland looks like through that. So um, that's typically what happened there. I'm, I'm just joking. We did go to Disneyland, but we saw more in the Viewmaster than we did at Disneyland. So just to let you know. Or it looked a lot better. Um, and so in looking at that, also... 
as we look at those, so we see to provide with means of opportunity, to make possible, practical, or easy, to cause, to operate. And then also, I wanted to define grace as it is, as it is as well. And what grace is, is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. I think it's important for us to not only look at the definition of enablement, but also look at the definition of grace. I don't have any slides for that. And one of the reasons why is because I want to look at a passage in John 9 that's going to take us to what specifically grace is. And I think it's very, very important that what we do is we look in this passage and define grace according to the biblical concept so that way we can truly understand what grace is and not necessarily just go with a slide or anything else because I want us to visualize. I think when, when Jesus gives us the word, just like he, just like Paul wrote to Timothy, he wants that to be the inherent scripture. He wants that. It is, it is not fallible at all. He wants us to dig into that. He wants us to learn that and he wants us to grasp that concept, not just take it and kind of do whatever we wish, but seriously listen to the Holy Spirit as we're dissecting that. So we're going to talk about that today as well. Um, And as we open up in John 9, one of my first points I want us to look at when we're looking at enablement, specifically, enabling leads to false expectations and incorrect judgments. That's my, that's my first point in enabling. It says enabling leads to false expectations and incorrect judgments. Now, let's go ahead and read John 9 here. We're gonna go, uh, verses, or verses 1 through 2. Okay, and we're just going to read that real quick. And it says here, it says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? So in looking at that, I want you all to understand a few things about a few things about being blind. One of the things was blindness was a problem of iniquity, far more common than we think. It, he, if you had eye disease, there was very few cures at that time for eye disease because a lot of them were in unsanitary conditions, just as such as water. Uh, there was increased risk considerably, and he even utilizes the blind in parables on whom to invite into parties, I think, which is really cool. So if we look at Luke 14, 13, um, if you can stay John, I'll just go ahead and read. If you stay in John, we're going to stay in John the whole time, but we're just going to go ahead and read Luke 14 through 13. It says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So in looking at this specifically, I want us to understand a few things here, okay? Is that we know that the blind man who was there he was a man who was there and he even recognized as a beggar in the, in the future there, in the future down, going down in the passage there. But when you look at it, he's saying, when, when there, when John's talking about this, he's, blind men were often, if you were blind, you could not find a cure for this blindness. So because you were filled with iniquity, you didn't have a lot to do in your life. Blind men were often seen as beggars due to the social status of the disability. Therefore, he has probably been enabled his entire life. This man set up, and that's all he recognized himself as, as being a blind man. And all he wanted to do was just be enabled so he can live the next day. He probably expected Jesus just to throw some money his way, right? He was enabled so much, he probably lost his identity of who he was. 
as he was, as people were just giving him money, he didn't care about anything else. All he wanted to do was live the day. He probably figured out a way to live because he was blind. But most of all, people were not showing him compassion. People were not showing him care. And then I'm going to say this because in all actual, in all actuality, what they were doing was just saying here, this is your level of, this is where you are at in society. So here you go. Here's some money. Here you go. That's, that's what we can give you right now. This is what we're going to do for you. As opposed to really stopping, having conversations and knowing more about him. Because we're going to find that as we go down the passage, that's exactly what some of his neighbors thought. And looking at it, and, and, and even when we, even when we look at enabling ourselves, when we enable ourselves with thoughts of success or demographic hierarchy, we automatically assume that others were created in a different spectrum as us. Others were created in a different spectrum as us. Um, when the, when the, when the disciples are looking at this man, one of the first things they say is, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they automatically go to the assumption that he was, that he was beneath them because they're able to see, because they're able to, to look, they're able to talk, they're able to work, they're able to do God's work. They automatically assume that this person was beneath them and all they needed to do was to keep them beneath him was to continuously enable him in order for him to just do what he's supposed to be doing, which is begging. And so because of that, they were just, he was automatically seen as rough. He was automatically seen as a sinner. He was automatically seen as someone who was not worthy. And they automatically thought that he wasn't even worthy of God's love in that sense because they're saying, well, what, what should we do with him? He's, he's a, obviously his parents sinned. Obviously he sinned. And what's really, what's really crazy about that is that we see that in, we see that in Luke when he talks about how we should have compassion for those and how we shouldn't expect anything from that. And these, and these disciples are sitting there going, well, we don't know how to react to this. But I think Jesus shows the most amazing compassion. And looking at the next, looking at the next point here, grace leads to Jesus. When we show grace to someone, we are giving our faith, hope, and trust in Christ, not only as a witness, but as a disciple. I'm going to read that again. When we show grace to someone, we are giving our faith, hope, and trust in Christ, not only as a witness, but as a disciple. I think this can easily be summed up in Hebrews twelve fifteen, where it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Jesus, Jesus saw this man as a child of God. He saw him more than just a disability. Jesus saw this man more than an opportunity, what he saw was someone that needed saving. And in John 3, or in John 9, um, 3 through 5, Jesus answers the disciples when he's talking to them. And one of the things he says was, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work with the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one could work as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then what happens is Jesus then goes on to accept the man. And you see, 
what he does is he's basically telling the disciples that they, this man was born that way so that way my actions, the things that I'm doing right now, the grace that I'm going to show right now to him is going to be accepted, is going to be seen as the works of me. Because sometimes, let's just be honest, when we have grace and we, and we want to show it, we kind of hold on to it. But see, grace isn't any, grace we, isn't ours to hang on to. It's ours to show someone else. And so when we look at it, sometimes we look at some of this grace, this, this merry-go-round of grace as being enablement. And a lot of times that's because we may view certain situations and certain scenarios that we're just enabling that person. When we look at enabling, we may look at addiction. I'm enabling this person with their addiction because they're going out and they're doing things and I'm being the source of that enablement. And that's what some of the disciples, that's what some of the neighbors of this man probably thought. But when he showed up, when Jesus showed up and he explained and he gave them truth, he gave the disciples truth. He didn't just say, I'm going to show them grace. He actually taught them. And then he showed them what grace was. Because once again, he saw this man as a child of God. He saw him more than just a disability. And he saw this more than an opportunity. He saw this as a moment of salvation for this person. And then as he goes on to accept the man, he then says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's specifically talking about the works of grace when he does this. Now, when he, when we show someone that same grace that God shows us, these actions or these works are then appreciated through Christ. And one of the things that he says in this too is that he's, and one of the things that I believe that Christ is always urging, he's urging us to show grace to someone because we are running out of time. You see, there's no time to compromise with Christ. As God is showing you, as, as Jesus Christ is laying on your heart to show grace to someone, you need to put your hope, faith, and love in that. It can look a lot of different. We can look at people and say, look, he's been that way his whole life. I don't want to enable him. There just may be some ounce of grace that you need to show him. There are, or her even. There may be someone that, that you know uh, at your school or maybe at your job that you know has never been shown grace their entire life and they even expect it because they're even just like that blind man sitting there begging and not even knowing that he's a child of God or, or, under, or understanding that he's even valued in his society because no one has ever showed him grace. But there's a time and there's a place and that's when we need to heed to the call of, of who we are in Christ. And that's why we need to understand who he is and how we should show that grace and what we should do to go forward with that. And then also, when we're looking at verses 6 through 7, one of the things that's very important, I think it's kind of awkward in a sense too, is that grace is remembered. Grace is always remembered. John 6 through 7, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. I know some of y'all just want to say, ew, right there, right? Craziness, right? Um, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, 
which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There was no excuses for what Jesus was doing right there. The humility of that blind man who just, he could have easily just said, look, I'm, I'm good. I am good. You don't need to spit on the ground and rub all this pasty stuff in my eyes because you just make made me sicker if that's the case. No, what he did is he was, he humbled himself. And as Jesus wrote, I mean, you think about it. If a man just spits on the ground and you can't, you're blind, you hear that, you're thinking, I, look, whatever works, that's right. That's what he's probably thinking. Um, but he never said, no, I'll wait for you to go get some, go get some water. He never said that. Um, cause Jesus said, you know what, this needs to happen now. He just explained that to his disciples and he's saying this needs to happen now. And then he, and then, you know, there was no, do you really have to use spit? I mean, I got some water over here we can use. You don't really have to do that right now. He could have said that, but that didn't happen either. Or he could have just said, no, man, I'm good. I'll just stay blind. I am cool with that. Right. But he did not say that as well, because this is a miracle that needed to happen. Not only to heal this man, but to show him grace, to show him the grace that no one else wanted to show him. Because everyone was just like, let's just enable him this whole time. Let's just give him the money that he needs so he could just stay where he's at. And crazy thing about when he told him to go to the pool was the pool was at the south end of the city. It was the only source of spring water, and some people say it had some religious ceremonial value. Now, remember in Luke 14 through 13, he says, invite the people to the feast. Invite those who are blind to the feast. Well, this ceremonial value, what this was, this specific pool was actually utilized for the feast of the tabernacles. So as Jesus gives this man direction, he goes over there and he wipes his eyes and he is able to see after that. So he's invited to the feast of the tabernacles, which I'm telling you, the feast of the tabernacles, that was like the higher of the high. That wasn't like, that wasn't like Golden Corral buffet. That was like straight up Ritz Carlton buffet. I'm talking about really big. You know what I mean? So you think about that. It was a huge thing. It wasn't just inviting someone. It was, he was saying, you know what? You're going to go to the nice pool. You're going to do this because you are worth it. Because as he has shown that grace, he is told he is worth it. Or he has shown that he is worth it. And the blind man is being told to go wash in the place called sent by the one who was sent as well. So not only is he practicing what he's preaching, but he's also shown that way too. It is shown that way. The one who was sent by God was the one who came and showed more grace than any of his neighbors, than any of the Pharisees, than any of the Jews that he was living amongst at that point in time. And then my, my next point is enabling needs results according to them. Grace needs faith in Christ. Enabling needs results according to them. Grace needs faith in Christ. When I think about this, enabling needs results to them. I think of, according to them, I think of when you enable someone, sometimes, when you are being the source for someone to make that decision, what we do, what we tend to do when we are the enablers is we tend to want to see those results as opposed to giving them to Christ. We want to say, Look, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to enable you. 
But I expect a change in your attitude. I expect you to change. I expect, and see, and as, as that happens, when we're showing grace, the one thing that we need to do once again is put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ. So that way we give it to Christ. We give it to God and we don't hang on to it. To know that God is going to change that person as opposed to the sources that you gave them to do that. That's what we need to look at. We need to look at and know that Jesus Christ, as we are, as we are, as we are just humbling ourselves and putting ourselves and knowing that we're going to show, and knowing that we're going to show that grace, that God is going to be the one to change that person's heart, and we are not. We're going to give it all to God and let that person make that decision for that. We're going to continuously pray for them. We're going to walk alongside them. We're not just going to say, here you go, that's it, I'm done. Because that's what we need to do when we show grace. You'll notice that even in there, in John 9, that the, that the man that he, Jesus gave him specific instruction, he didn't just say, here you go, I healed you, I'm done, peace out, my job here is done, I'm over. Hey, y'all can send me up right now if y'all want. No, it wasn't like that. He didn't do that. It wasn't a, a, a one and done thing. He gave him specific instruction on what to do, and he did it. He didn't just sit there and say, look, God, I know you said I need to do that, but that's not going to that, that's not gonna fly by with me. I mean, I can't, I can't do that, God. I just can't. No, he did it. And he wasn't even, and the thing was, is that he was still blind when he went to that pool. He did not become healed until he went there and did that, until he went there and washed his eyes out with that specific water. And during, throughout the rest of the passage, throughout the rest of the time there, you'll notice that when I say enabling needs results according to them and grace needs faith in Christ, you'll see some other people starting in, in 8, going all the way through the end of the passage, that there's some people that kind of fight that. And I think about this one, um, this one saying by E.B. White, who's an author. It says, grace can be dissected like a frog, but the thing dies in the process. Going, into, go, going in verse 8 through 13, the dissection first starts with the neighbor's. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, is it he? Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, then how he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. We sometimes can be very skeptical of what Jesus can do um, and even what grace can do. Grace so much, sometimes we're, we're so skeptical of even Jesus' grace, we look past it and we start making up worldly excuses to kind of make sense of all of that. And we start by questioning someone's experience. We, we do that sometimes. I don't think you were really saved at that point in time. We kind of say that. I don't think you really felt Jesus' grace. 
as opposed to just praying about it and walking with that person and talking with them and having them kind of decipher where they are at in Christ as opposed to you kind of making that hierarchy of what they need to be in your box or what you do. And I do that all the time. I kind of look at people and I say, I don't know if they're really there with Christ right now. And so as opposed to walking with them and talking with them, I'd rather judge from a judge from a from an arm's length as opposed to putting myself out there and showing the same grace that God showed me and what that looks like to them. Or as opposed to humbling myself and being transparent with them and talking with them and telling them what I dealt with when I was, when I was being shown that grace. And you see, what was going on is the neighbors were questioning him. And what's really cool about this is that if you've ever met someone who who just fell into that unmerited favor of Christ and they knew that they were saved and they just opened their arms wide and said, look, man, God has changed me. They act different. And then what society says is, wait a minute, you're too different. What's going on? Because the weight of the world wants to enslave you this entire time. And when you actually fall into it and, and just and God just shows you that unmerited favor, that grace that he wants to show you, yes, you're going to look different to the world. Why? Because he has changed you. He has changed who you are. He's changed how you talk. He's changed how you carry yourself. But yet the world wants to say, you're not the same. And so in this case, you see, he, God, or in, in this case, Jesus Christ actually changed this man and he's walking in, in, in a lot. And then their people are just not understanding this change. So what they do is they not only, the neighbors not only talk about him, but then they say, hey, look, we need to go to the Pharisees. Basically saying, hey, look, this man's saying he's changed. Scott, I need you to come up here because I need you to evaluate this man's change. If you can just do like a lie detector test on whether or not he's really changed or not, that'd be great. So then they take him to the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees start talking to him, and then they say, well, wait a minute, this couldn't have been Jesus. This couldn't have been the Son of God that did this. Why? Because he worked on a Sunday. This couldn't have been him because we have these religious aspects, these traditions that are supposed to go on, and this and this is not, this is, this, there's no way that this can be Jesus. So then this guy who's walking in it, is under is trying to dissect all of this because he's not knowing and as opposed to them walking along with him and knowing that this is the grace of Jesus Christ and knowing that that this is it what happens is it's starting to die a little bit and then after that they then the Pharisees then take him and then they take him to his parents and we're going to pick up at 18 John 9:18 through 23 where it says the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them is this your son who you say was born blind how then does he see his parents answered we know that this is our son that he was born blind but how he sees we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him he is of age he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. 
And then the blind man responds in 24. He says, or 24 going through 29, he says, So far the second time they've called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that the thing I was, one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? He opened your eyes. He answered them. I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why would you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they, re- and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know what God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. In looking at enablement and grace, I think it's very, very crazy how sometimes we can see someone and just want them to be enabled. And then when God shows his grace to someone, we question that over and over and over. But one of the reasons why is because of what the world has done to us as believers and what the world, and when we see what the world can do to someone else. I say that because I'm very guilty of it. My, I have a, you know, my family growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of addiction growing up. One that was very, very, very fluid in my life was my older brother, who has done everything and anything. He sold drugs out of our house. He was addicted to drugs. He was so addicted to, he was so addicted to his drug, to drugs that when he had his first child who hit the mother of the child, the mother of my nephew was also addicted. They had to have CPS or DHS take them away. And my parents who raised three boys out of high school decided to go ahead and start over with this one. And when they did that, Many people were looking at my mom and dad saying, you are enabling your son. You've been enabling him this entire time. You are enabling your son. No different than what the neighbors did. No different than what the Pharisees did. And my parents still, aside from what everyone said, decided to go ahead and do that in raising their son. In, in, raising, the, in raising my nephew just like it was their own. And to be, to be totally honest, my parents didn't have father figures in their lives. There was a lot of different things that they grew up around. And so this was like starting, they, and they thought, well, this is good. We got three kids out of high school. There were two high school dropouts. They got three kids out of high school. This is awesome. So they're starting new. And then to see God's grace in that situation, to know that they are raised, that, to know that my nephew was raised with, with, with my parents who have solid core family values. And then even at that point in time, was my brother, was my brother fit? Was my brother ready to give up drugs and addiction? No, he wasn't. It wasn't until about a couple years ago when he made that choice to become sober. And he's been two years sober. Thank the Lord for that. Awesome. Amazing. Praise Jesus for that. But throughout, throughout those two years, even afterward, he had, he had another son. Um, 
he found, he found the love of his life and they're married and he had a son. And the son, Jace is his name, was born without an ear. He was born with microasia. He was actually, he stopped breathing. They had to keep him in the, in the NICU for about a month after he was born. He's about two weeks, two weeks older than my son. And I remember holding Jace and praying for him when he was in the NICU. And he stopped breathing right in my hands. And I remember just praying, praying for Jace during that time. And he started breathing again shortly after. And to see family members and to see friends and say, look, Epi is my brother's name. Say, look, Epi, see all the stuff that you've done. All the stuff that you've done, it's coming back on you. And my parents are coming aside my brother who put them through so much turmoil at that point in time. And they're saying, I'm going to show you grace throughout this time. And my nephew, who's the older one, Dylan, that's his name. He is now 13 years old. Loves school. He's super smart. Asks questions about his mom every now and then. But mother chose not to be in his life because there was an addiction that was there that she just couldn't face and she couldn't get help with. And it's just so awesome to see grace not only showed when my parents took over that, took over that, took over raising him, but then also when they decided to stand behind my brother throughout this turmoil, throughout all this stuff that he was going through with Jace, who's who's almost two, who's, who's, who's a year older, and we're going to get to see him in November again, so it's going to be awesome. Um, but then to know that my nephew, who's 13 years old, is going to a school where the principal's mother actually left him for a life of addiction as well. And that principal just so happens to be one of my best friends. And to see grace that has happened throughout each and every one of the aspects of these lives is something that we need to understand that comes from God. It's that unmerited favor that we need to show someone. And yes, enablement is their boundaries, absolutely. But you see, boundaries, they hurt, they do not harm. And sometimes one of the biggest acts of grace that you can, you can show is to let that person not be enabled so that way they're not, you're not being the source of that pain anymore. So that way they can humble themselves. And that happened in my brother's life several times. He was humbled to know that Jesus Christ is in control, that God is sovereign in this situation, and that he loves us and he gives us that chance to worship and praise his name. And once again, grace is nothing that we can hang on to. It's something that God actually enables us to show others people so that way when they see that grace, they see that it came from us and they know that it essentially came from Jesus Christ who came on the cross and died for our sins. And some of us here are probably going through that right now. We're probably going through the aspects of enablement and grace. And, and as we as we wrap up everything, I just want to just want to kind of challenge you. Where do you stand in showing grace? Where do you stand in in understanding that this is God's unmerited favor in your life? 